some wonderful connections with the music and our relationship to the Heavenly Father, and those will not uh, go unnoticed through our study today in the book of Acts. It's always a blessing to be able to sing to our Heavenly Father, to uh, sing whether in the good times or in the bad. And I know that many of you sometimes are, are, are singing in the good times and hopefully singing in the bad. If you are taking notes today, that's not all of you, but if you are taking notes, I would like you to start out by writing down a couple different words with a question mark after it. The first word is the word prison. So if you're taking notes, write the word prison somewhere with a question mark. And the second word is the word school. The word prison and the word school. And I want to make the point today that each of us has to make a decision that at a certain point in life, with whatever is being thrown our way, or whatever um, is a result of our own choices, sometimes our own sins, with whatever is coming that might be the result of someone else. I want to make a strong, strong point today that you're going to be a steward of that. And you're either going to oftentimes call it a prison of your own, maybe a prison that would lock in your entire life and you feel like you can't do anything, or perhaps a small prison just a small prison in a small area of your life that you're afraid to go to that place? Or would you view that as a school? God's school of what he is trying to teach you at this point in your life. Let's stop and ask for God's wisdom. Father, we would come to you with an expectation that you would grant us wisdom as we very clearly understand the Holy Spirit's presence with us as he dwells within your followers, but even as we join together corporately, there is something very sweet, and as is the desire of us here at Calvary, something special that would take place in the teaching when we join together. We praise you for your perfect word. We thank you for the life of the Apostle Paul. We thank you for how we can learn from him. Allow us, Father, to honor you more and better today because of what we know of you and this point in your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It looked like a tank from the future, said one business owner in Granby, Colorado, as he watched this machine crash through buildings, over, over trees, and even knock down lampposts. Marvin Hemeyer was his name, and he owned a muffler shop in this small town, and he used an armor-plated armor -plated bulldozer to crash through the town hall in the small town and a former mayor's home in that town, as well as some other buildings. After much of the mayhem and the panic had stopped, the machine finally came to a halt. The surrounding police officers heard a single gunshot from within that machine. And as officers peered in, they could see Hemeyer's lifeless body with a gun nearby. Officer Glenn Trainer said this of the dozer's construction. He said it consisted of two sheets of half-inch steel with a layer of concrete between them. A video camera was used to guide the machine, and two guns were mounted in front and aimed through portals. What would drive an individual to go to such lengths. Well, here was Hemeyer's story. He was angry after losing a zoning dispute that allowed a cement plant to be built near his muffler shop. 
In addition to that, he did have $2,500 worth of fines for not having a septic tank and a few other code violations. And as he saw a situation in life that he could not control, maybe something that was going to put him out of business, I can't know for sure, he chose to allow that to sit within him. He chose to allow that to dwell inside and grow into an incredible amount of bitterness to the point where he spent months and months constructing this bulldozer to tear through the former mayor's home, to knock down other walls and buildings and destroy town and eventually take his own life. What a sad story that is. And as you and I think of the idea of bitterness, I want to challenge us today that as we look at the Apostle Paul, bitterness was something that never entered into him that we can see resulted from in the Scriptures. We don't see him responding in a way where it seems like he was out of control. We don't see him walking in a way where it was clear that he had a chip on his shoulder. Bitterness did not enter into him. Randy, I'm going to let you control the slides this morning. When we think of bitterness and think of our own lives, we understand that there are many individuals that allow themselves to let this bitterness take root, and it has an incredible effect on their life. I mentioned earlier, you're either going to place yourself in a school, in God's school, where he's teaching you something, and by the way, God's school is not always something where it's just, you know, easy exams, easy assignments. In God's school, he puts you through things to teach you tough lessons oftentimes. You're either going to view your life as a school where God is teaching you or maybe a point of your life as a prison. I said earlier it might be a prison that would, um, like this gentleman here, that consumed his life. And you might be able to say, that's not me. It's not consuming my life at all. But you might allow it to take one area of your life. You might not want to go to certain places. You might be a prisoner from talking to certain people. There might be certain areas that you avoid in life because you have chosen to be a prisoner, because maybe you've chosen to lose hope in that area, thinking that God cannot do anything to improve it. When we talk about bitterness, I want to remind you of our enemy, the devil. The devil comes to us to attack us, and the devil is so smart. You know he's been around since the beginning of man. You know that. And he's so smart that he knows to attack you in all the different places. It's not just when we're discouraged that the devil attacks. He knows all the tricks. He and his demons have been around long enough to observe man. He's got the word of God memorized. I'm completely convinced of it. And he uses it against us. The devil can attack us when we're on those mountaintop times to knock us out of effectiveness for Jesus Christ. The devil knows to, how to attack us when we are bored. The devil knows how to attack you when you're very, very busy. And the devil knows how to attack you when you're down. I can just hear the conversation sometimes between the devil and his demons saying things like, oh, there was a discouragement there that came into his life. Oh, we're going to trip him up here. Oh, we're go oh, let's throw something else at him to stop him from having hope in God. Let's drive him to a place where he has no hope. Oh, and just on the horizon, we're going to have a February where he won't see the sunlight for maybe three or four days. And that will really do it to him. The devil knows mankind so well, and he wants to stop us. If he can't have your soul, if he can't have you forever in hellfire, then he wants you to not be effective in this world. 
There are a variety of causes for bitterness. It can come through being overlooked for a position, a position that maybe you deserved, and somebody who did not have good intentions and maybe even wasn't a good person saw to it that you didn't get that position. Bitterness can come from the loss of a loved one. Let's not just say that it's only sin that causes bitterness, but we lose people that we love in this world. And oftentimes we can allow that to drive us to bitterness. Bitterness can come from disease. You do everything within your power and you pray to God to take something away from you or to take a disease away from your loved one. And he does not do it. How are you going to respond to that? Are you going to act like you're in God's school and try to find out what he's teaching you? Or are you going to let that turn to bitterness? I think the biggest cause of bitterness is really mistreatment. And I don't want anybody to raise hands. I don't even want you to shake your heads. But when you are mistreated in this world and you can't go and tell everybody about it, and maybe if it's something that you don't want anybody else in the world to know about, very down deep, that can be something where we will lose hope, where we will allow it to grow. And you can allow a part of your life to be in prison instead of taking that and allowing that to be part of God's school and what he's trying to teach you. For our application today, I'm gonna go ahead and give you a couple things that you can do, and then at the end of our time together, we'll tie it um, in for some specifics. When discouragement or pain persists, in a season of your life, there are a couple of different things that you need to guard against. And I've already mentioned both of them. You need to guard. So when pain comes, when discouragement comes, whatever it is, you've lost your job, you've lost a loved one, maybe you're just, you know, you're just in a rut. You need to guard against becoming bitter. You need to guard against giving up hope. All right, I know that many of you are very proper, and I appreciate that. Um, but I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask everybody to go ahead and point your finger. So take your right hand and your pointer finger and go ahead and point it. Don't point it at me. Point it in this direction here, okay? So go ahead and point. All right, I'm not used. Okay, go ahead and point your finger. All right. Every one of us, it seems we have some kind of a blame thrower inside of us, right? A blame thrower. Something goes wrong. Something happens. Well, I can blame so-and-so. I can go back to my high school days and blame that one. I can go to my childhood and blame that one, that thing that nobody knows about. I can blame that person on the job. I can blame myself and bad decisions that I've made and sin that I've done in the past and blame myself. I want to encourage you to stop the pointing at other people and instead point to God. Point to God and say, what are you trying to teach me in this school, Father? Instead of looking at others and allowing ourselves to remain in a prison, look to God and say, God, what will you teach me through this? I think we see this very clearly in the life of the Apostle Paul. If you're not already there, turn to Acts chapter 25, please. Acts chapter 25, and we're going to look at Paul, and we're going to look at this instance in his life, and it kind of seems like a repeat. I'll, I'll admit that to you. In fact, I have multiple commentaries that I use for the study, and more than one has completely skipped, basically, a whole lot of these sections here. Because it seems like the movie Groundhog Day. Paul just gets up, and it's the same thing again. He's in court. They're accusing him of these three things. I'm not guilty. Okay. Then the next instance, he's in court again. They're accusing him of these same things. He's not guilty. 
And just to prepare you, next time we're going to be before King Agrippa. And it's going to be something very, very similar, but I promise there will be a good application from that. In Acts chapter 24, let me give you a little bit of background. Last time, we saw that the Apostle Paul was in court. He's fighting for his life, literally, but he has something on his side. He has truth on his side. Now, Felix was the governor at that time, and Felix was politically motivated. And so he decides to table this issue. He did not acquit Paul. He didn't say there's nothing here that holds any water, but instead he said, we're going to keep you in jail for two years. This picture here, that's me, and uh, that is in Israel. This, is, this has just been unco- uncovered in the past, I think, 75 years, where they found the place where Paul would have given his defense before Felix and also before Festus and before King Agrippa. Um, clearly, they've built new stands since then, but right in front of those folding chairs that you'll see in the photograph, they have some of the original seats that individuals would have sat on, that would have judged, that would have listened to this court case. Let me go ahead and give you a couple other pictures. I think we've got a couple others. This is all together, so you've got that, um, you've got that amphitheater right there where Paul would give his defense, and this is what the remains are of Herod's seaside home. It was nicer than that when he lived there a couple thousand years ago. But this is, um, it's, it's just beautiful to look out, and it's so close together. You walk to all three of these locations. Let's see the next one there. And this is actually one of two arenas where they would have sports. They would have chariot races, and men would die. Um, they said that they had a thick amount of sand there so they could cover up the blood that would be shed. All these are right in the same location at Herod's palace. This is the area where Paul spent two years in prison. Um, There are actually two of those. Right on the left side of the picture, you'll see a divider, and there's one that mirrors it on the other side that's now covered by water. For those of you that are going on the Israel trip or still considering going on the Israel trip, we will go to this location one of our first days when we are there. Paul spent two years in prison after talking to Felix. Let's go ahead and back up to the last verse in Acts 24, where it says in verse 27, when two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. So two years, he's in prison. He's fighting for his life. And now Felix is replaced by Festus. Now Felix, in his, and it's fair to say this, in his incompetence not to acquit Paul of these charges, he knows what's good for him politically, it would seem, Because if he offends the Jewish leaders, he's going to have some riots on his hands. They knew how to make things difficult for a Roman governor. And yet, if he's going to keep Paul and send him for future trials, he has to have something to hold him with. The picture comes to my mind, if you watch any of these detective shows, when they pull in a suspect and they've got him there in the room and maybe they're trying to get a confession from him, they're trying to talk to him and figure it out, and behind that a glass there's a district attorney standing there and he will make a decision nope let him go we don't have enough to hold him if i take this to court like this then it'll he'll get free i'll ruin my reputation it'll be bad and so for a couple years paul is a victim of the incompetence of felix not to give an acquittal but that's not the only one who suffers because now festus comes on the scene and he has to deal with the sticky situation Now, as I look at this, I, you know, we all approach things differently and there's some specifics that we can't know. I have to wonder if it might not have been um, Festus coming in and saying, okay, 
the previous governor had this to solve for more than two years and he couldn't figure it out. So if I can solve this problem, if I can figure this out, boy, that'll be the silver tuna. They are know that, they'll know that I'm going to be an incredible leader and full of wisdom. So I think that he had it in his head because he addresses it right away. I'm going to fix this problem. Let's go ahead and jump um, at, uh, to ver- chapter number 25, and let's look at those first five verses. <clears throat> now, after, now three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea, and the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul. And they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul, that he summon him to Jerusalem, because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, let the man of authority among you go down with me, and if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring the charges against him. Let's stop right there. Festus loses no time visiting one of the two major cities that he would rule over. He would watch over Caesarea by the sea, and also he would watch over Jerusalem. So he goes right there. He wanted to keep the Jews um, liking him. And the first order of business that these Jewish leaders have is they ask a favor. Now, we're talking about bitterness today, and specifically we're talking about how the Apostle Paul dealt in a beautiful way with not becoming bitter. Let me go ahead and just make a side point about these Jewish leaders Two years had passed, and the first thing they request when there is a new governor that comes in is they want Paul's head. It appears to me very clearly that bitterness had settled into their hearts. They were not allowing anything else to jump before the the task of killing the apostle Paul. This was their main goal, to see him dead. I think there was probably good reason for it. As I look at it, I think that the Christian movement, people coming to Jesus Christ, had affected them. It affected their popularity. I think it affected their pocketbook. I think in different places, um, Jesus Christ was having a huge, um, even financial impact. And so if you can imagine it like this, these two years that they're waiting, they're waiting for something to turn around for them. Imagine that. What's going to turn it around for us? About a decade ago in our area, in our country, really, we saw a huge economic downturn. And some people were ruined at that time. And some individuals were hanging on and hanging on for the economy to turn around. And just recently, for sale signs are going up in yards because people are no longer upside down in their homes. They've stuck through it. They've waited it out. I think these Jewish leaders were very much so thinking this is our opportunity for things to turn around. If they could only smear Paul as someone who is an enemy not only of the Jews but also of Rome because they would kill him, then they could return to the good old days. And all along they planned to kill him along the way. Really nothing new with this plan here, nothing creative. You'll remember a while back, Paul was in custody, and they, some men took a vow not to eat or drink until Paul was dead, and the plot became um, known to Paul. He told the soldier, and 470 soldiers escorted him here to Caesarea, and he was saved. We don't find a lot of creativity on their part. Now they're just going to put some men um, to wait and kill him as he's traveling from Caesarea back to Jerusalem. 
Festus does not give in to this request. I think he was new. I know that Festus did not know the ways of the Jews very well. He knew Roman law. And so he knew that there had to be a charge. An individual had to be able to um, speak to the people that would accuse him and refute that charge. And so he does things, I think, in an orderly way. He invites them to come with him to Caesarea for a hearing there. And here we go again. And just to tie our connection to this, Paul does not become bitter even when the Jewish leaders repeatedly wanted to kill him. I don't know if any of you have have ever had someone who wanted to kill you. That's pretty strong, right? Maybe you have. I don't don't know. I really don't want to know if somebody has. Don't tell me that. That's strong. They wanted his life for years. And he does not lose all hope even though two years went by. He does not grow bitter. Let's look at this second part, the governor and the prisoner. Look at verse number six with me. After he stayed among them, not more than eight or ten days, that's in Jerusalem, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. If I can stop there just for a second, and I have a picture in my head. They're surrounding him. Like a pack of wolves is what comes to my mind. And they're just, you know, nipping at him and trying to intimidate him. And maybe they thought he's been in this prison for two years. Surely he's worn down now. Let's use every resource that we have. So they surround him and they bring the charges. Verse number eight. Paul argued his defense Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. That's it. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing there to, if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. All right, these charges are not different. He's guilty of breaking Moses' law, they would say. He's guilty of treason against Rome, a leader of the sect of the Nazarenes, we learned earlier. And guilty of defiling the temple. Paul defends himself. And then we see a little bit of a switch in Festus, right? Right at the beginning, he didn't want to do them a favor, the, the Jewish leaders. He wouldn't do that at the beginning. But now it says wanting to do the Jews a favor. I think that Festus is finding out this is quite a sticky mess that he's gotten into. Felix could not solve it, and I don't think that he had high hopes that he would be able to solve it either. So he said, maybe we can transfer you to Jerusalem. This is a Jewish issue. Maybe we should, be try- we should try this before Jewish people in Jewish territory. And that's different than before. But now what's different is in verse number nine, Festus says, I will be the judge when we go to Jerusalem. Maybe he thought that would be helpful to him. But I think Paul knew how it would end. Paul had been patient through this. He had waited. He had been back and forth already. 
And I think Paul also remembered their previous plot to kill him. And so Paul here is trapped in a snake pit. It's a snake pit filled with ambition of Roman leaders. It's a snake pit that is filled with hatred for him as a follower of Jesus Christ that he called Jesus the first risen from the dead. The resurrection he keeps talking about. And he finds himself in this impossible place. And so he appeals to Caesar. I appeal to Caesar. We understand as we study that a Roman citizen at any point could appeal to Rome, to Caesar. He waited until now to do that. Appealing to Caesar was the fastest way for him to get to Rome, but it was not without danger. And I very much so believe that what was on Paul's mind was back in chapter 23, and I think it was verse 11, where God, Jesus Christ, appeared to the Apostle Paul, and he said, do not lose heart. You have defended me. You have preached me in Jerusalem. You will preach about me in Rome. So Paul knew that he was going to Rome. And Festus quickly meets with his advisors, and he sees this is, he doesn't have any choice. He has to let him go there. It wasn't really his decision. And through all of this, Paul does not lose hope, even when this new governor, who can right off the bat set him free, chooses not to. He knew the truth. And even though he knew the truth, he does not let him go. And Paul does not lose hope. And it's so easy for us to, when we look at this comparison of our life and the life of a Bible character, to just quickly dismiss it. But I want to suggest to you that the prison that you have allowed yourself to remain in needs to be a school. That's what Paul saw this as. Paul is viewing all of this as God's plan to develop him into something for what is coming. And then finally, let's look at that third one, discussing of the political prisoner, starting in verse number 13. Now when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice, that's his sister, arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying... There's a man left prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that, I, that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute about him, about their own religion, and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss, how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Let's stop right there. We have coming on the scene here, Herod Agrippa. He was the king. And this is really a puppet type of king. He didn't have a large amount of authority. He was a puppet for Rome. 
but he knew Jewish culture. He knew the Jews very, very well. And his sister Bernice, now you might read that casually and say this is his wife. It was not his wife, it was his sister. But they were, as history tells us, in an incestuous relationship. All kinds of scandal going on here. And they come to town and they are probably meeting, maybe having a meal with Festus. And he says, here's what's going on. I've got this tough situation that's been thrown before me. I don't know how to deal with it. And he lays out the entire thing before King Agrippa. Agrippa maybe could help since he was an expert in Jewish matters and Festus knew very, very little, a lot less than Felix before him. And so let me just say this about appealing to Caesar. When he would appeal to the emperor, which was Nero, some of you are familiar with Nero, not a good character, not a good king. All kinds of dangers would be added to this. He was not a friend of Christians at all. But Nero was just one who I think would be um, a ticket to Rome, an all-expense-paid trip for him to go to Rome. And I think he was tired of doing nothing. We rarely find Paul doing nothing. And I don't know why that is here. Two years of him waiting I'm not sure what he did. Maybe it was one uh, teacher thinks it was just a wonderful rest for him during this time. We can't know for sure. In verse 22, the last verse that we'll look at today, after King Agrippa heard all of this, it says, Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you will hear him. And so we understand that Paul does not lose hope even with the continued uncertainty of somebody new coming on the scene now. And we'll see Paul give an, an incredible testimony next week. He does not become bitter. He does not say, God's not watching out for me. None of that takes place. All right, let's go ahead and pull this to ourselves today. What can you and I do as we examine the Apostle Paul and see these things going on? Well, I want to challenge you with a couple applications. First of all, when discouragement and pain persists, I'm not just talking about something quick, you know, a splinter or something, a little ding. I'm talking about one that's a season of discouragement. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Something happens here. Okay, whew, that's rough. And then something gets added onto it here. And then a week later, something more gets added onto it, and pretty soon you feel the weight of discouragement on your shoulders. And when discouragement persists in your life, the devil, our enemy, he wants to drive you to be useless for God in your place. And he understands that if he can get you to become bitter, or if he can get you just to give up all hope, that means you're happy to sing all those final verses of all those hymns that talk about heaven. And that's all you think about. All I can think about is going to heaven because I can't possibly see how what's going on in this world can be used for God's glory. And the devil wants you to swallow that lie. You can avoid bitterness and giving up hope by a couple things. Number one, by believing that God is in control. This goes to the importance of your regular Bible study. As you study the characters of God's word and how they walked by faith and not by sight, and as you learn of God's character of himself in his word, that he was faithful, that he never lied, and he still cannot lie, and you learn his promises, and you drink in the word of God, these are going to strengthen you for those times of attack. You need to believe that God is in control. He is over all things. 
It's been said that life consists of 10% of what happens to you. Don't miss this. Life consists of 10% of what happens to you and 90% of how you respond to it. How are you going to respond? Is it going to be, I'm in a prison? I'm in chains like Paul was? Or is it going to be, I'm in God's school? And I want to suggest to you that for your life, God, listen, God has plans to prosper you and not to harm you. God has plans to give you hope and a future. You need to believe in Him. You need to trust in Him and His Word and that He is your God. We walk in the fear of the Lord. That does not mean that we walk afraid that we're going to get struck by lightning if we do the wrong thing. It means that we're learning about our God and how awesome He is. That word awesome has been hijacked by the world. I don't think we'll ever get it back. It means you are in awe of something, what God has done. If you've never turned your life over to Jesus Christ, that point where very possibly you were in awe of Him and you were undone because you recognized that you stood as an enemy of the cross, an enemy of God because of the sin that you were born into and that He would allow you to be a benefactor of His grace. I'm going to ask you to turn to another place in your Bible right now as we give this second application. Ephesians chapter 5, it's just about four or five books to the right. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians chapter 5. As you turn to Ephesians chapter 5, and right now some of you are thinking about something in your life that is God teaching you something, or are you allowing it to hold you under its control? I think this verse will be very, very helpful. And then we'll give one more application. Ephesians chapter 5, look in verse 15 with me. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, and giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus. Let's stop right there. There's one picture that I want to give you that this very clearly paints. The Bible tells us that we can very clearly be controlled by something that is not good for us. And the picture here is the picture of alcohol, getting drunk. It is not the will of God that you allow some kind of a substance, drugs or alcohol, to control you. You can come under the influence of something. And then it gives the contrast You are not to let something else have control of you, but what is supposed to control you? It is supposed to be the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit controlling you through these times. And so let me go ahead and give that second application here. You can avoid bitterness in your life and giving up hope by not allowing others' weaknesses to control you. What's another's weakness? Well, it might be a sin that they've done against you. 
It might be them overlooking you for that position. Someone might just be just a horrible person and you have to be around them. Do not allow the weaknesses or the sins of others control you in your life. And if you are honest about it, you'll see that when others will, track, will talk trash about you or mistreat you or are critical, these are actually weaknesses. What are you going to allow that to be? A prison? I completely have no control over what's going on. I am tied up in this jail, in this prison. Or is it a school? I want to suggest to you that years from now, you might look back at this situation that you're dealing with and say, when I looked at that as what God was trying to teach me, incredibly, God opened my eyes. And incredibly, I've been able to follow him in so much better of a way. But brothers and sisters, there are too many folks who allow bitterness to creep in and it just takes just a small part of you. But I want to suggest to you that it's like, it's that familiar We talk to young college students about this sometimes. When you get off on your own, you're doing your laundry for the first time, you're doing a load of whites, and then one red brand new shirt gets thrown in that load of whites. Maybe you've seen that before. What happens to all those white clothes when that one red shirt gets in there? What color does it turn? Not red. We might be able to handle red, but for us guys, it turns what color? Pink. Holy smokes. And just like that one red shirt would stain everything that it would be washed with and affect everything, that bitterness that is inside of you, the devil loves for you to believe the lie of that bitterness. He loves for you to take a hold of that and allow it to decrease everything else. Even though you think there's only one area in your life that you're locked up in. Bitterness and not walking with hope will affect every other part of your life just like those clothes that got covered in red. And what do we learn from the Apostle Paul? We learn that he understood that suffering produces endurance. And as he would learn endurance, he learned that the endurance would produce character. And the character that that Paul would learn would produce hope. Listen, listen. There is always hope. My God is great. My God is mighty. And what he is doing in this school that he might be putting you through even today is he is allowing you to experience his grace, the grace of teaching you. Do you know what a good parent does? Good parent punishes his child. A good parent allows his child to learn lessons that are difficult to learn. And children of a loving, almighty God, God will allow you to go through his school. And he doesn't mock you. It's not because he's, you know, some kind of a monster up there. It's because he has something for you to do. He is preparing you to do something with that. And you are a steward of it. Allow yourself to be a student in the school of a God who wants you to learn incredible lessons, not just for eternity, but for what you can do in your life in this place. Let's pray. Loving Father, we do look to you as one that is good. The Word of God reminds us that you are perfect. The Word of God reminds us that you are love. 
And we need to remind ourselves of that on a regular basis because sometimes it's hard for us to see that loving side when we are going through something that we cannot control. I know that you're even able to take the sins of men, our past sins, turn them into something so sweet and so special. God, I would ask that you would allow we as followers of your son to be constantly learning so that we could serve you better. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna ask Anna just to play through a stanza of a song. This is a chance for you to pray. You don't have to talk to anybody else, but search your heart. Maybe allow yourself to turn something within you from a prison into a school. If you're here today and you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, you've never given your life to him, Ask him to be your savior. You can do that right now. He died on a cross so that you could ask for forgiveness and follow him. You can do that even now.